Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome into another episode of the Hangtime Podcast. This is Seku Smith in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann, is in New Jersey. And we are putting the finishing touches on the preseason all around the NBA, which means the regular season is right around the corner shoe. And uh, as if we haven't had enough of this, Jimmy Butler still in the news, trying to force his way out of the situation in Minnesota with the Timberwolves, showed up to practice and gave everybody an earful on Wednesday. Is there any solution that looks workable for all involved with Jimmy Butler trying to get out of Minnesota? (laughs) The way it sounded, some people loved it and some people didn't. And I assume that the best solution is a trade, but like the better solution would be people acting professionally. (laughs) I would think like Jimmy Butler rejoining the team and actually trying to lift guys up rather than, you know, tear them down. I appreciate that he comes with the intensity that he does and he plays as hard as he does and he wants to challenge his teammates, but there's got to be a better way to do it. And the other question is, why did the Timberwolves let this happen? Tom Thibodeau has been clear about not wanting to trade Jimmy Butler. So I don't know if this was something that he thought would work well. Like, you know, you let Butler come to practice and maybe you mend some of those fences or what. But it clearly went sideways. It doesn't put Jimmy Butler in a great light, obviously. What do you think the the Timberwolves should do next? Like, what should be – should they tell him don't come back, don't come around the team – if that's how you're going to operate it, do you let him play and stoke this fire until you get a deal done? You know what? What I think you you continue working on trade, and if you can find something that works for you, you got to do it. I mean, there's just no way around that. But in the meantime, you've got to figure out if one he could come back and not necessarily be so belligerent from what the reports say, and if the other guys on that team are willing to take him back and willing to work with him. I understand, like, I mean, those other two guys, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, are ridiculously talented. So I understand, like, the disappointment in them not playing with intensity, with consistency, not playing defense enough. Heck, I'm not even a Timberwolves fan, and I'm disappointed in in (laughs) the lack of those guys playing at their absolute best as much and as often as possible. I understand that frustration, but your job as a team leader is to lift those guys up. And your job as a professional basketball player is to go to work for the team that's paying you until they're not. But maybe that's just beyond repair at this point. And maybe that's just never going to happen from this point going forward. Yeah, I watched them in that first round series against Houston and they look like a disjointed group. You know, even then, you could tell something was off. The way Jimmy Butler's body language, Jeff Teague's body language, you, you could look at their guys and tell something was, was amiss. I don't know what the right solution is for the Timberwolves, but to me, there's no way you get through this season with Jimmy Butler on that roster just trolling everybody. I mean, and he's, he's not even hiding it. I mean, if he shows up and is yelling and screaming at his teammates and at front office personnel, you can't operate like that. 
you can't function as a potential playoff team if that's who they think they are. You can't do that with Jimmy Butler upsetting, you know, the chemistry on a daily basis. They, as we said it before, they should be a top four team in the West. I mean, they have that talent. They have yeah. two of the most talented young guys in the league. Carl Anthony Towns is a force offensively. Jimmy Butler is one of the best two-way players in the league. They're solid from like four through seven on that roster with guys like Teague and Taj Gibson and Anthony Tolliver, who you know I like yeah. as, a, as a big off the bench. They should be really good, but it's just a messy situation. Yeah. I guess on to more positive topics. Uh, Lakers fans, I'm sure, are plotting the parade down Figueroa <laughs> after a preseason win against the Warriors in Las Vegas. I got to admit, it was interesting. It was a fun game to watch. And my opinions about this Lakers team, maybe I'm just parking all of this at LeBron's feet and the fact that when LeBron shows up somewhere, shoe that team elevates. It goes to another level. I'm assuming he'll do for the Lakers what he's done for every other team he's been on, which is elevate the guys around him, and they play at that next level. I'm not saying they're a championship team by any stretch, but I'm saying this idea that they're not going to make the playoffs is a head-scratcher to me. They're going to be right in the thick of the playoff chase in the Western Conference with all those teams, to me, outside of the Rockets and the Warriors. They should be right there. You know, I, I was encouraged by what I watched last night. For me, it's interesting just to watch him play a little bit different style, a little bit more off the ball, running a little bit. You know, I, that's the one thing I liked. I mean, there was one possession early on last night where, one, they let Clay Thompson wide open on a uh, secondary break and he hit a three. But like two seconds after he hit a three, LeBron was tossing a lob to JaVale McGee on the break after after a make, which was fascinating. And, and I think they have the personnel to run with guys like Ball, with Kuzma, Ingram, LeBron, JaVale McGee when he's in the game. Josh Hart. Know. I mean, they got a lot yeah, of – I mean, those are open floor players, uh, almost all of them. And then at the half court, I, I liked their – you know, like when they give the ball to LeBron at the elbow and run it through him at the elbow. I mean, that's – we've seen it in Cleveland. When Cleveland does that, they had some sets like that where it's just impossible to guard because, one, if he's at the elbow – Everybody else is one pass away, and so you can't double. Like, you, if you double, you're doubling from one pass away, basically, or, or from a short distance. And then, you know, they run some off-screen actions. You know, they don't have the shooting that Cleveland does that makes the sort of off-the-ball actions as dangerous as Cleveland's were. But still, they ran some fun stuff that way, and they, they, they even, you know, had Ingram handling the ball at the elbow as well. And so I liked it. Uh, and then they had a, a great set play to start the second quarter where LeBron tossed a lob to the ball off a, a back screen. I think they were trying to switch a lot defensively, and they got confused on that a couple of times. And so that's going to be a challenge. I'm, I'll be curious to see how they play defensively. But I like the offense and as far as playing with pace, like I said, and then in the half court, you know, uh, running the ball through LeBron at the elbow, which is potent. Yeah. You know, it seems like there's always one guy who, who gets a, even a more significant bump than usual from playing with LeBron. I'm wondering, who do you think that guy is amongst those other Lakers? You know, the guy that's going to surprise some people with how he plays because he's got LeBron on his team facilitating and kind of orchestrating for him. Well, one is Caldwell Pope. You know, just because he's their best shooter, that's going to be playing the most minutes alongside LeBron. I mean, he's going to start alongside him, and he's the one guy that can catch and shoot. And so when LeBron has the ball, he's going to be his primary target in the corners, on the wings, 
LeBron is the best generator of three-point shots in the league and has been for a long time, and especially corner threes. And Caldwell Pope is the best teammate to, to benefit from that aspect of it. But, I mean, Kuzma and Ingram, they're going to have the opportunity to. I thought there was a little bit too much one-on-one with Kuzma last night. They don't need to play much one-on-one with the passers that they have, with Rondo, Lonzo Ball, and, and LeBron. You shouldn't be playing too much one-on-one, and I think there's a little bit too much of that to my liking last night. But I thought Lance Stevenson did a little bit of that as well. Well, that's, that's Even though the I liked thing. the way he played. I did. I liked the way he played. He looked good to me last night. He's basically LeBron's sub, right? Like, he yeah. comes in. Like, when yes. LeBron is off the floor, it's Lance that's coming in the game. Yes. He'll, he'll play with LeBron alongside as well. But And so I think those minutes are going to be dicey. He's a ball stopper. You see it all, almost on every half-court possession. He catches the ball. The ball stops. He measures up his defenders. He goes through the legs or behind his back a couple times. And Born ready, baby. It, it it will kill. That can kill an offense, and there's going to be some highlights with it, but there's going to be a lot of frustration as well with that regard. And I'll say this. Last year, Victor Oladipo had like one of the biggest on-off differentials in the league as far as how the Pacers played with him on the floor versus off the floor. Mm-hmm. And his main sub was Lance Stevenson. And as much as Indiana loves Lance, uh, he was his minutes were an issue last year. And so I think Lakers... When LeBron steps on the floor, off the floor, those minutes are going to be dicey. And I'm, I'm curious, does LeBron play 82 again? Does he play 37, 38 minutes a game again? Like, what's oh, I guarantee what's you, we're not going to his see, minutes load this year. I'm curious. We're not going to see the Cleveland minutes that LeBron played with this Lakers. Can't, can't do it. We'll see. I'm curious. That's, I mean, then what? When he does step off the floor, what? How are they getting buckets? You know, to me, but to me, that's where you have to groom. If Lonzo Ball is your – or Ronda, whoever's your other primary ball handler and facilitator when LeBron's not out there, that's when that guy has to take control of the team. I mean, he's got to rein Lance in. And I know that Lance's game, you know, that's – it's the what he is, does. The other thing is, like, none of those three guys can shoot. Those are yeah. three bad perimeter shooters. Yes. And so if, say, you got two of them on the floor when Le- in LeBron's minutes off the floor just to have that ball handling in there – Offense is going to be a struggle unless they're able to defend really well in those minutes and then get out in the open floor. You will not steal my Lakers joy. I won't let you do it. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I mean, I'm fascinated by keep it. I mean, I mean, he's the best player in the league. And like you said, he lifts a team up. So I'm fascinated by it. And I, I like a lot of these players. I like ball a lot, you know, mm-hmm. as, as far as a defender, as far as a rebounder. He had one play last night where he was guarding Curry on a, a pick and roll, got one hand, got a hand up, deflected a pass for a turnover. I mean, that's what he does. He's a big guard who can get deflections and rebounds really well. I know we haven't talked about it, but how good are the Warriors? I was like, I was just watching them when they feel like playing, and it's a preseason game, so. And they didn't even have Draymond Green last night. So. Exactly, and they understand that it's a preseason game, even though it's in Vegas, the crowd, the Lakers, you know, all that stuff. But how sweet are they when they just get cranked up and get rolled? Like Durant had three or four plays in succession where he was just, I mean, just blowing up and down the floor. He had a couple drives, I think where he just blew past everybody and finished at the rim. I was like, man, they when they want to, obviously, and they've proven that you know, over the, the past few years, they're still my favorite. And I'm thinking back 20 years. They, they might be my favorite team that I can think of in the past 20 years to watch play when they're on, like when they're rolling. And I know there were some Phoenix teams that were really fun to watch, Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash teams. 
Everybody liked watching Jordan and the Bulls, I know. Spurs in the 14 finals Spurs is, is, in the, still, exactly. is still like that's the top. I mean, the Warriors are, yes, you're right in that. The Spurs in that finals, but not necessarily all yeah. season long, but in that finals, they were fantastic to watch. That's true. Um, and, and the Warrior Irons get it. Like, there's so much fun to watch just as far as their communication and their yeah. movement offensively and their passing offensively because they just have multiple, you know, sort of basketball geniuses on their roster. And that what makes them, you know, so fun. Yeah, I would venture to, to guess that their games against the Lakers this year will be – I don't care what the Lakers are doing, like what the records are. Those games against LeBron and the Lakers will be some of the more fun games to watch because you know JaVale, Rondo, and those guys are going to bring that extra crazy to those matchups. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to just how much crazy energy both teams will play with when they see each other. National TV Rondo will get some – He's got to make more TV shots than he made last night. <laughs> he hit a donut last night. Shoot, by the time we crank back up on the podcast next week, your first power rankings will be out. So we'll tackle that another day. I want to raise some other questions for you right now. And we'll keep this brief, but I'm just curious, based on what you've seen so far and your feeling on all of these things going into the season, I want to tackle some awards predictions. And I know you're not a predictions guy. That's not your favorite thing to do. Suffer me for a few minutes here and tell me just a couple categories. And I'm going to start with Rookie of the Year. Who do you look at and say this is the front runner as we get ready to dive into the 2018-19 NBA season? Who's your Rookie of the Year front runner as of right now? You know, I was all aboard the Doncic train until I started seeing what DeAndre Ayton is doing. This guy's in five preseasons game is, is averaging 18 and 10. Yeah, he, he looks, um, good. He looks he, better now than he did during summer league. Like, he has shot. 12 for 23 from mid-range. Like he's got a little mid-range jumper where he doesn't need to be fed the ball at the basket, you know, for him to score, which is fairly unique, I think, among rookie bigs of the last, you know, X amount of years. Of course, we got to have the context that Devin Booker hasn't played yet. And so some of those touches are going to go away when Booker comes in and starts doing his thing. But Averaging 18 and 10 in 27 minutes a game. It's hard to ignore that. Right now, I I like him as a rookie of the year favorite. Doncic, I think, is going to have the ball in his hands, you know, which is important because rookie of the year is mostly about numbers. But if Aiton is putting those kind of numbers up, and like I said, if he can shoot a little bit, he doesn't need to be shooting threes just yet. I'm sure that'll come come in a couple years. But if he has the ability to catch the ball at the elbow and do stuff with it rather than just needing to run, pick and roll and catch the ball at the basket or have guys feed him at the basket, that's going to allow him to put up decent numbers, even on a team without a point guard. Right. I'm going to mention two other guys who I think will be in the thick of this race. I mean, you already talked about Doncic. I liked what I've seen from him. He looks much more comfortable than I realized he would be on an NBA floor. I don't know that he's going to have that transition period, maybe because he's played at such a high level. For so long in Europe, he's much more NBA-ready to me than some of the other international rookies I remember, you know, how they look when they first got on the floor in NBA games. Trey Young is going to have a spotlight on him, shoe, even though he's going to be on a team that struggles. I really think he's going to be able to put up the kind of numbers that will keep him in the mix in the rookie of the year race. He looked really good last night against the Spurs. (laughs) And, And, of course, it's preseason. We all know that you have to put it in that context. But I feel like if they're going to allow him to play to his strengths and there are going to be some rough nights and rough patches, he's such a good passer and he is a distant shooter, he's going to be in that mix. That game winner he hit was kind of funny because there was like five seconds left and it looked like 
other guys on his team were trying to go set a pick for him. And like Bryn Forbes was guarding him mm-hmm. and he was like five or six feet away. Nobody, nobody else on the floor was expecting him to shoot at that time because there was still five or six seconds left, right? And it's a tie game. Right. So you want to just basically shoot at the buzzer or, you know, with one or two seconds left. It was kind of weird watching the reactions from everybody as he pulled up. And <laughs> I don't know, what was that, 35 feet? And drained it. I mean, he's a very good passer. I'm going to like that. I think the size is going to be an issue as far as being able to break guys down and get by guys in one-on-one situations, which, you know, if, if more of the league is switching screens and that he's going to see a more of that. I like what I've seen so far, especially like the passing. Like you said, he's going to have every opportunity to put up numbers. I mean, the yeah. guys, what else are the Hawks going to do but play, <laughs> play this guy, you know, 35 minutes a night and tell him to, you know, go for it. Yeah, I know his peers weren't enamored with his performance last year, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Brad Stevens is sitting in a pretty spot to be the front runner for coach of the year with with what the Celtics have coming back. And if they live up to the expectations that a lot of people have for them to be the best team in the East and one of the best teams in the league, might this be the year Brad Stevens breaks through and gets his concrete due for being a great coach as opposed to just guys like us always talking about it and his players always bragging about it so I think yeah I think it's definitely his award to win because I think he had a fairly good big support from the media last year it was just tough to I think Dwayne Casey was right there too and I mean let's just be honest the media loves Dwayne Casey we're guilty I mean I'm guilty of that and the Raptors were the number one seed you know the Raptors were the number one seed in that I'm sure for a lot of media media people it was all right whichever team gets the number one seed gets the award the Celtics should be right there number one this year I think they're the favorite I also like Quinn Snyder as sort of a western conference option for coach of the year because mm-hmm. I think, like we've talked about, I think Utah has a chance to be two or three in the West. And that's more, I think, like Boston, that's kind of an ensemble cast as far as their success. Yeah. It's not like a superstar-driven team, although Donovan Mitchell is going to be a star and Rudy Gobert is a star on defense. So I like Quinn Snyder as a possibility as well. Okay. Defensive player of the year. I'm basing this on the boulder on his shoulder. I feel like Draymond Green thinks that he's been done an injustice. But at the same time, he admitted, like, when he yes. was talking about it, he said it was part on me. Yes. And the Warriors dropped. They dropped to 11th on, on defense last year. And so, yes, I believe that when locked in, Draymond Green is basically the best defender in the league. Yeah. And I say that versus Rudy Gobert just because he's more versatile. He can guard the perimeter, obviously, better than Gobert can. Sure. Gobert is incredibly impactful with what he does. So, yes, if the Warriors somehow lock in for 82 games this year, which they didn't do for didn't do last season, then, yeah, Draymond Green is a favorite. Rudy Gobert is obviously a favorite to repeat, and I think Joel Embiid is another one. The Sixers are going to be really good defensively. We've said it before, they are huge, and he's a big rim protector. Not that they don't have multiple great defenders. Covington, Ben right. Simmons is a really good defender. But Embiid, I think, is is another favorite for uh, Defensive Player of the Year. I'm throwing in a chip for Drew Holiday, who never seems to get the love that I think he deserves. I was. It's tough for a perimeter player. Like Kawhi Leonard should be up there too. Kawhi should be in the mix, no doubt. But I'm saying Drew Holiday is a guy who, to me, does not garner the kind of love he should on a regular basis for being a great defender. And I'm biased. I've been talking about him since he was in Philly when he made an All Star team early in his career, and how much I loved his game. It didn't help that I went down and saw Alvin Gentry in the, in the Pelicans late during the regular season last year. And Alvin pulled out like all of his 
analytics on what a great defender Drew Holiday is. And was he wasn't trying to sell me necessarily. He was just trying to make the point like that that we're missing as a body. You know, the, I think the I've had him first team. It. I think I've had him first team all defense each of the, both of the last two years. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you and I. I'm just saying in general. Yeah, yeah I understand. And I agree with that. I mean, I think sometimes we get caught up in a narrative on guys. You know, this guy's supposed to be a great defender, so therefore we put him in that category automatically when there are other guys who have really – I mean, you saw his performance in the playoffs. It was ridiculous. I mean, the way he locked up Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum, they couldn't do anything with him and Rondo. Drew Holiday is my uh, – my. I don't want him to call him a dark horse because I don't think that's appropriate. I just think he needs to be in the conversation when you start talking about best individual defenders in the league. The GM survey lauded LeBron as the favorite for MVP. I have a sneaky feeling, though, that he's not going to have the combination of things you normally need to be at the forefront of that conversation. They're not going to be a one or two seed, right? Westbrook was the only MVP in the last 30 years that was not on a one or two seed. Right. So that means LeBron would have to have like a preposterous statistical season. He'd have I think, to well, the thing that he's got going for him do. is that is that the Lakers are going to get see a win jump right say yeah. 10 at least 10 be double digits yes 10 to 15 games and the Cavs are going to see a huge drop right and so you can use that context in yeah. your LeBron MVP argument is what the Cavs are doing without him because that's basically the same roster just with him not there and so you can use that as a and we've said it before that the last time he left they had the biggest drop in winning percentage drop in NBA history. So that will be on his side is, is how bad the Cavs are too. Yeah. I don't know if I have somebody who's not already a known name that, that we would have in the MVP conversation. I mean, I was looking Kawhi's at gonna have a good shot, you know, cause he's in Toronto and he's going to be on a good team. Pick whoever you want from Boston. Kyrie, I'm assuming. <laughs> That's Joel the tough Embiid. one. Like Kyrie is going to have that. He's going to lead the best team in the East in, in scoring and assists. Right. Right, but he won't be their best player, according to John Chip. <laughs> That's my thing. Like, I, I have a tough time looking at this because I like I know that MVP is narrative driven, but like I'm never going to see Kawhi if if Al Horford's healthy. I'm never going to see as Kyrie Irving as the the Celtics' most valuable player. So right. that's just my thing too. Yeah, I'll tell you this, I, and I, and I want to make sure that we're fair about this. I think Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, by virtue of playing together get penalized in the MVP conversation, both of them, both of them. To me, they're, they're as good as any individual player in what they're, do, what they're asked to do for their team and their value to their team. But because they play together, they're basically going to cross each other out in MVP I, conversations. I agree. The only shot, I mean, and I don't want to talk about injury, but like if one of them misses a big chunk of the season and the Warriors are still great, well, then the other one becomes a more, a bigger MVP candidate i mean that's just the way it is i mean we saw it in the past with like the clippers like when either griffin or paul was injured for a big chunk and the clippers yeah. i think it's griffin was out for a while and clippers were still really good in those games and chris paul suddenly elevated in the mvp conversation for me i think Giannis antetokounmpo might be like because i could see milwaukee yeah. making a jump you know uh with mm-hmm. Budenholzer sort of revamping their system on both ends of the floor there and he is clearly their star. Like with all these other good teams, there's there's other guys that that are good. Like you know, they have multiple all stars on their team. You know, Oklahoma City with Westbrook and Paul George, Houston with Harden and Chris Paul, 
But Milwaukee, if they jump, say, in second or third best team in the Eastern Conference, which I'm not saying is impossible, Giannis Antetokounmpo might be your MVP. Right. Anthony Davis, of course, will be in that mix. But how good are the Pelicans going to be? But we don't exactly. We don't know what kind of season they're going to have. It's hard to really forecast for me right now what they might be as a team. In the narrative for MVP in recent years, Shu has been it's going to be a guy who hasn't won one yet, per se. Who's the guy outside of the names we've mentioned you think is most likely to enter that conversation? I think it's Joel Embiid. Last year, I think he was a fringe candidate. I think this year he becomes a legitimate MVP candidate based on what the Sixers could do. He's got all the ingredients, right? Like he's going to have a huge impact on both ends of the floor. He's going to put up big numbers and the Sixers are going to be very good, you know, top three or four team in the East for sure. And maybe number two, maybe number one, who knows? I mean, Simmons is there, right, to take away some of that. But I think it's hard to deny. Yeah, I think it's hard to deny that that Embiid is like their most impactful and most valuable player. Although, now when we go back to that, how they played without him down the stretch last season. Right, yeah, they were rolling. rolling. We've talked about it. It's like it's a contrast in styles. Like it's an Embiid-driven offense versus a Simmons-driven offense. They're two different things. Yeah. And so, but like I said, yeah, you're having this discussion with Jay Skeets on Twitter is like sort of guys that could possibly be both MVP and defensive player of the year candidates. And, and Embiid, I think, is near the top, is maybe at the top of that list. Right. I mean, we didn't talk about him for defensive player of the year probably as much as we should have. But you're right. He's a guy who plays at a level on both ends. And I mean, what other big man can can match offensively and defensively what he does. And he's such a matchup problem, too. I think there's that aspect of it, too, is that if he's playing at his best and if he is in a little bit better shape this year than he was last year, who can match up with that guy? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, you normally, I know, don't like to mess around with predictions, but I appreciate you playing. playing. We didn't predict anything, did we? Like, we didn't (laughs) – I don't think we we predicted anything. No, but we we just drove off into that – realm which i know you normally don't like to mess around with i appreciate it i'm gonna drink some hot tea over the weekend shoe i'm catching the willies i don't know why my voice has been rough so i apologize season starts i know it's it is upon us we'll be back on monday get our first look at shoes nba.com power rankings we'll be able to dissect one through 30 going into the season i can't wait shoe i'm sure you're gonna have some snarky uh, human bites for some, you know, for certain teams on there. I'm looking forward to it. And be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for episodes all season long. Don't forget to leave a review for our producer, John Hartzell, Seku Smith here in Atlanta, John Schumann in New Jersey. We will see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for a new episode every Thursday this season. And as always, say Kuna Matata.